our Bibles again at Genesis 29. Genesis chapter 29, which I think almost certainly is one of the great romantic stories of the Bible. However, the biblical view of romance and marriage is much more practical and realistic than the one that we often have in our own day. Uh, marriage is God's gift for mutual comfort and companionship of a man and woman, but it's also one of the means by which God uh, creates character in his people. Uh, Ruth Graham, who, the late Ruth Graham, uh, late wife of Billy Graham the Evangelist, once said, a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Uh, God is not overly concerned about our unending happiness or repeated romantic uh, circumstances so much as our growth in holiness and intends marriage to be the environment uh, or one of the part, part of the environment in which we grow in holiness. And we see in this chapter the com combination of romance and character-building heartache. There's a sight of Jacob that we haven't seen before. Uh, he comes across as heroic, brave, uh, uncalculating this time. Uh, and then we have one of the most beautiful expressions of romantic love, maybe in any form of literature, and that lovely line, Jacob worked seven years to get Rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Beautiful uh, expression of true love. So Jacob's transformed from the spineless deceiver that we encountered during the deception for the blessing episodes. And yet, uh, there's still a bittersweet uh, strain working through uh, this narrative here. And instead of Jacob and Rachel walking off into the sunset to live happily ever after, we end with something of an anticlimax and disappointment. But the overarching theme to the chapter is the sovereignty of God. God is over all, and he is the one who controls events. Uh, happy events, seemingly random encounters, which result in happiness, as well as unhappy setbacks. And in the lives of his people, he is only one purpose in all of these things, and that is to, to shape us and mold us, to be more like that great lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob is indeed a new man at the beginning of the chapter. He has met with God at Bethel, but that doesn't mean that Jacob has achieved instant holiness. He's a work in progress as we all are. There is a long and winding road ahead for him and that road will contain its share of sorrow as we find out. As we look at the story then, let's, uh, let's consider it uh, in three sections. There's the encounter at the well. Uh, there is the entry into servitude for Laban, uh, under Laban. And then there is the deception of uh, Laban's deception of Jacob. The encounter at the well. Jacob 
sets off from Bethel, and straight away we're made aware that uh, he is uh, he is different. He's a new person. Uh, he left his family at Beersheba, as it were, under a cloud, and he's trudging on his way. But now he's much more positive. The, the literal rendering of the Hebrew in verse one is then Jacob lifted up his feet, and there is. If we can translate that across, there's a new spring in his step after the vision at Bethel. Uh, there is a new purpose about him. Uh, he is no longer preoccupied uh, by what has gone behind. He has a new relationship with the Lord, who is his God, a new sense of destiny to fulfill. The Lord has promised, assured him that he will make him the father of many peoples and so he resumes his search for a bride with sunny optimism now in his heart and eventually after walking for many miles without seeing very much he comes across activity flocks are gathered with their shepherds near a well and jacob observes a large stone laid over the mouth of the well in these arid uh, districts uh, water is, is wealth, water is precious, and so it has to be guarded carefully from being accidentally polluted. And Jacob approaches the well and the flocks, and we wonder, uh, as he does so, uh, what is going through his mind? Does he perhaps reflect on another well scene? When his uh, grandfather Abraham had sent a servant uh, off to seek a bride for his father Isaac, and it had been at a well, and with the watering of camels at the well that uh, Rebecca, the bride, was uh, pointed out. Quite possibly his hopes were raised at this point. And so with Jacob, uh, we can see uh, the flocks of, of sheep uh, gathered around uh, this this ground which has been well beaten over the years with the, the hundreds of hooves and this formidable stone over the mouth of the well. And Jacob walks up to the group of shepherds, uh, probably hired hands and not the actual owners of the sheep. And quizzing them, he discovers that they're from Haran, the place to which he's headed. And what's more, they know Laban. Not only uh, do they know Laban, but Laban's daughter, Rachel is approaching with her flock and with Jacob we are peering into the distance trying to make out uh, the uh, one who's coming but sheep are moving slowly and so uh, as Rachel approaches with her flock there's time for a, another uh, discussion to go on about sheep husbandry or sheep management and Jacob's uh, point is that it seems a, a waste of grazing time for these sheep to be hanging around the, the watering place until the others can be gathered to them. Far better, he suggests, to water them now and let them be gone and, and uh, get back to the grassland. The shepherds aren't particularly bothered, uh, despite the fact it does seem a, a waste or a senseless waste. Uh, but on the other hand, perhaps Jacob has something else in his mind. Maybe he is uh, looking to performing uh, an act of, of strength to impress uh, this young uh, girl who is coming his way. Now, Rachel approaches and 
Jacob uh, goes over and kisses her and then bursts into tears with the emotion of having arrived at his journey's end with someone whom he very quickly thinks is a suitable person to be a bride. And that's all very quick, isn't it? And I think that's, that is a feature that we're supposed to remark on because when we compare this well scene with the previous well scene, there are certain features which are missing in Jacob's encounter at the well. Remember when Isaac's servant is there, he's very prayerful about all that takes place. He prays that the Lord would reveal to him who it is. Uh, if, if one of the, the if, if this is indeed the, the, the bride that she's been sent for, that God will reveal it. And uh, there's the, the matter of watering the camels as the test. But with Jacob, it's very different. Jacob uh, does seem to be guided rather more by uh, appearances, maybe propelled by his hormones than anything else. And there's a warning for us here. Jacob is still a work in process. And we live in a, an age ourselves when looks and beauty are regarded as the most important thing. Now, in the Bible, of course, beauty is never undervalued. It's appreciated in its own right. But there's always the, the distinction between uh, what is superficial, what's on the outside, and what is important to God, which is deeper. Proverbs 31, uh, 30, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And of course, it's much, much harder, and it's a longer process to discern that godly beauty than it is to discern the external uh, beauty. The things that really count character, faithfulness, godliness, sincerity, patience, all of these all of these qualities which make for a good marriage take longer to uh, discern and need patience and prayer in discerning it. So it's a romantic encounter. It's love at first sight for Jacob at the well. But it's also a prayerless encounter so far as we can tell. It's something which has gone at breakneck speed and there is pause to think of what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for Jacob are 14 long years of servitude in Haran. Rachel seems to be pretty impressed with this uh, man who has turned up out of nowhere. Uh, he has sorted out these uh, rather lazy shepherds and he has shown off his strength in moving what was probably a, a stone that required several uh, men to move it normally. Uh, so which rather challenges our picture of Jacob. I think sometimes when we are contrasting Jacob and Esau, we think of, of Jacob as rather a, a, a pale-faced wimp of a guy, uh, a, a mummy's boy, but uh, not so. He, he is robust in his own way. And, and here's a, there's a, a, an act of, of, of strength uh, which uh, certainly seems to impress Rachel. 
and leaving her flocks with him, she runs off to tell Laban her news. And Laban, for his part, comes out to meet Jacob and brings him back to the home with uh, great affection. Now, it's possible Laban would have been suspicious of Jacob. After all, he has not met Jacob until this point. Uh, His circumstances seem rather strange. He would have expected Jacob, uh, as a relative, to have arrived with servants and with donkeys and camels and so on. But here he is, uh, just with the, the, the clothes he stands up in, maybe with a knapsack. Seems rather odd. In the previous well scene, the servant sent by Abraham had come loaded with gifts for the household. This fellow has nothing with him. And perhaps those first hours spent that Jacob spent in Laban's household, uh, he is very much aware that he is being scrutinized, that he is being examined uh, by Laban. At any rate, it's after Jacob has explained all these things, presumably the story of the birthright and his follow that Laban says to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Well, the few days that uh, Jacob might have stayed there uh, turn into a whole month. And Jacob makes himself useful during the time, no doubt. He's glad uh, to be of help around the place uh, because it gives him time to be with this girl who has captured his heart, Rachel. Laban, uh, who's no fool, realizes that Jacob has more than a passing interest in his pretty daughter. Uh, He's noticed that Jacob is quite happy to work for him, and so he puts out his bait. Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Uh, Now, it seems quite a generous statement, but actually it's maybe a little disingenuous because uh, as a relative, uh, Jacob would normally have worked for nothing because he would have had a stake in the business, uh, if he'd been regarded as uh, as family. Uh, so it seems that Laban is, suggest, is, is uh, putting him on the level of a commercial worker rather than uh, a blood kinsman. Uh, he wants to get something out of him. And what he actually does is that uh, he makes an indentured slave of Jacob. Now at this point we're introduced to the fact that Laban has two daughters, Leah is the eldest daughter, and Rachel, the younger one. And we're told uh, in verses 16 and 17 uh, that Rachel is indeed uh, an attractive young lady. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So here's Rachel, a very pretty girl, uh, and Leah, we're told, has weak eyes. Now, of course, there was nothing uh, to correct your eyesight in these days, and that would have been a real impediment to being uh, marriageable if you were continually peering at, at objects to make them out, or walking into trees. <laughs> uh, so Leah is less attractive uh, in Jacob's sight than Rachel, who has uh, this beauty 
going for her. Jacob's not interested in money, but he strikes a bargain instead for the hand of Rachel. I'll work seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Now, this is going along in some ways with the, the custom of the day because in Jacob's day you sealed an engagement by paying uh, a marriage payment, a marriage present or a bride price, uh, a transfer of money from the groom's family to the bride's family as a pledge that the man uh, was sincere in his intention of marrying her. Now, Jacob, of course, is not in that position because he's estranged from his family. He has fled from his family. And so uh, he must raise it himself, and he's determined to be generous-spirited in this. Uh, and seven years' labor, uh, the equivalent of seven years' manual work for someone, is a very generous marriage prize. I may be all alone in this, but when I come to this part, I'm hearing uh, the harmonica and Bruce Springsteen... <laughs> I'll work for your love. This has got this song, I'll work for you love. But it seems very much to be based on uh, Jacob's gallantry. What others may want for free, I'll work for your love. Jacob's willing to work for the love of Rachel, and he works seven years for her. Laban's response is typical of this gruff, heartless character. It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So it's not exactly a kind of hearty uh, closing and commendation with the uh, arrangement. He's careful at the same time not to mention or to, not to use the name Rachel. And again, there's dishonesty here. Jacob has mentioned Rachel. Uh, She's clearly the one that uh, he's seeking. And Laban keeps things rather ambiguous, only referring to, to a her. And so begins, so begins for Jacob what will turn out to be 14 years of serving. And the key word in this section is the word serve. It is uh, repeated again and again. Uh, he will serve Laban. And there's an echo of the word of promise that uh, Jacob had sought that the younger, uh, the, sorry, that the older brother Esau and, and his, his lot would serve the younger. He had sought the blessing in the flesh by his, his own uh, contriving. And now he finds himself in this ironic situation of being in servitude. Uh, he's confronted by someone who is, uh, if anything, more cunning, more deceptive, uh, more heartless, more greedy, more ambitious than he, uh, Jacob, was. It's as though God is holding up a mirror to Jacob's heart. This is what you are like. This is what it's like uh, to be uh, used and deceived as you were using others and deceiving others. So the days pass. Uh, Jacob is uh, out in the range uh, herding sheep. He develops uh, a tan. He's stronger by the day. 
days are filled with packing up tents and setting them up again, with watering livestock, uh, early mornings at lambing, keeping watch for wild animals, felling trees, cutting firewood, and all the time uh, looking forward to uh, spending time with Rachel. And the days become months, and the months, and years, and the years eventually add up to seven, but they only seemed a few days to him because of his love for her. That beautiful thought. Uh, God has given Jacob the gift of romantic love, which is of far greater uh, worth than any monetary reward to him. And then uh, there is the other mirror of Jacob's past when he comes uh, to be deceived. Jacob is in the school of character and he is going to be there for longer than he thought because God has one further lesson for him. He's going to uh, show Jacob again the ugliness of the sin of deception. The day comes when Jacob wanted to claim Rachel as his own. Uh, so we can imagine him walking one morning into uh, Laban's tent and uh, Laban, rough Laban, is uh, perhaps poring over uh, his accounts and he looks up and says, well, what is it you want, Jacob? Give me my wife, he replies. My time is completed. I'm sure quite justly aggrieved at the way he's been treated. Perhaps he's seen that Laban has been uh, over-ready to exploit uh, his love for his bride. Uh, and the wedding takes place. Laban uh, sets the day, the wedding takes place. And at that time, the wedding was begun by a procession to and from the bride's house. There would be the reading of a marriage contract. And then the crowd would gather for a large meal. And at the appropriate time in the proceedings, uh, the groom would wrap his cloak around his bride, who remained veiled, throughout, and took her to the marriage chamber. And the feasting went on for a week. Laban sees his opportunity. Taking advantage of the lateness of the hour, the fact that the, the bride was veiled, and presumably the fact that wine had been flowing freely, he gives Leah, the elder daughter, to Jacob instead of Rachel. Something of the, the shock that Jacob feels in the morning with his discovery is communicated uh, with a minimum of words. Literally, uh, it reads, in the morning, and behold, she, Leah. And Jacob's incensed. And he goes to Laban and he confronts Laban. What's this you've done to me? I served you for Laban, for, for, uh, for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban, with this extraordinary coolness, uh, responds, well, uh, it's a custom in our country not to let the younger daughter marry before the elder one, but uh, to marry off the younger one first. But just to keep him happy, he can have Rachel as his wife also, on the condition of another seven years of work. So it's a kind of buy one, get one free type of arrangement. 
that Laban has, which is probably uh, not to Jacob's great amusement. But he agrees, and he is Rachel also for his wife. And ominously, uh, we read at the end, he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, it's, it's clear the way that so many things are mirrored in the story what God is doing here. Jacob, now a man of God, has in his character traits that God has to deal with. God has to bring them up uh, to the surface, confront Jacob with them, and polish these uh, ragged edges uh, out of his character. His grasping after supremacy, his deceit, these things are all confronted in his encounter with Laban. And, and surely Jacob must have recognized the, the irony of what was going on. He's actually accusing somebody of deceiving him. Think of the, the manner of the deception as well. When, when Jacob had deceived in order to win the birthright, he had, as it were, used the, the night of blindness that had fallen over uh, his father Isaac. He took advantage of the night that Isaac was in in order to uh, obtain the blessing from him by deceit. And now he's been deceived by someone who has also used the night to, to thwart him. And the thwarting, again, is, is over the matter of the rights of the firstborn. With Jacob, uh, he was seeking after the promise that he would have uh, the right, although he was the second one. And he had resorted to, to worldly striving and to deceit. And now he's on the receiving end. And again, the issue at stake is, should it be the elder or the younger who's married off first? So many echoes of, of his, his own uh, sinfulness, his deceptiveness, his grasping back in Beersheba. God is, as it were, rubbing his nose into these flaws in his character, but with a loving intention to bring on his child in the life of holiness. So, it's a story, as we reflect on it, which is beautiful in, in two senses. It's beautiful in its portrayal of romantic love. We see Jacob in the best light as someone who, who will happily labor for the woman that he loves. Offering seven years and going on to give 14 that he might have Rachel uh, as his own. True love makes light of the difficulties that there are in every relationship. But it's also beautiful in the way that it, it realistically portrays the trials that often enter our relationships. The trials that, that God uh, allows us to go through in order that he might sanctify us through them. And the artistry of the story, the way that uh, Jacob is now on the receiving end of the very uh, things <coughs> that he was guilty of in relation to his father. So that God is using human relationships and marriage as a means to make us more like him. 
And when we think of that, when we think of what's going on at a spiritual level, it lifts us high, it points us, doesn't it, to the great lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus, and his labors, his labor of love. Jacob's labor of love is as nothing towards Jesus. Ephesians 5, 25-27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So Jesus comes into the world in search of a bride. You are that bride. I am that bride. The church is that bride for which he came. And he offers up a bride price. He offers up his life, his precious lifeblood, to win us for himself. And now, having bought us, having won us, he is renewing us through his word. How does that work? Well, he's working the fruit of the Spirit into our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control being worked into our lives, and often by hardship, often by the, the difficulties that we encounter in our relationships. Now, there's times in our lives when uh, we see all too clearly that there is a God who is ordering events so that we might see ourselves mirrored in our situation. That he's teaching a lesson. And for the Christian, it's a great comfort to know that the God who sends hardship early, who puts thorns in our bed, as the Puritans said, is a loving Heavenly Father who has purposes of love. Now that, of course, requires humility in our part. Learning from God's fatherly discipline requires humility to acknowledge the failures in our own lives that God is pointing to. Jacob would have needed that humility to see what God was teaching him through these experiences. And we need that also. When, when we're thrown into difficult situations, when we're thrown into a workplace where we have colleagues who are difficult to get on with, with uh, who are uh, cunning and, and conniving and, and who undermine us and who exploit us and who deceive us, when we're with malicious, arrogant, contentious or gossiping people, then sometimes before we complain, we have to ask ourselves, is God holding a mirror up to my own life? Am I guilty of some of the very things I protest against in those around me? It may be that these very people, those hardships, are the means that God is using to make us more like him. So, as we go into the week ahead, who knows? Who knows what is in it for us? And it may be for some of us that we'll, we'll encounter difficulties in it. Maybe difficulties in the workplace or in our 
relationships. They might be frustrated and thwarted in the workplace. And if that happens, if that is God's lot for us, let's remember Jacob and his 14 years of hard labor in Haran. And take heart that God hasn't finished with us either. Gracious God, we bless and praise you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that you use the things we find most hard to produce that which is most fruitful and beautiful in our lives. And we ask that you'll give us the insight to discern these things and the humility to learn from them. And Lord, whatever it is that you have in store for us in these coming days, grant that we will be people who recognize that we are clay in the hands of a potter who is most wise and whose purposes are loving and good. In Jesus' name.